turn to 1 Samuel chapter 11, or actually chapter 10. I scared Nicole back there because I said the wrong chapter. She just copied verses 17 through 27. And All right, so we're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. <clears throat> it says, Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressed in you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all the calamities and from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the, tri the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the, Maz the uh, Maz Matrites were taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he had stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went two, or excuse me, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellow said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Amen. So, uh, we're ending chapter 10 today, and we are still discussing the coronation of King, of King Saul. And um, last week we spoke about the private coronation, or the anointing of Saul. And the reason why we said it's private, because um, no one was there, but a few people. And this was God anointing uh, Saul as the first king of Israel. Now, this Sunday... Uh, we have the public pronouncement of that kingship. And um, last Sunday, I focused on the Lord's sovereignty over the events that were unfolding within the life of the nation of Israel. Uh, we, we came to understand that none of these things happen random, randomly, no matter how good they look or how bad they look, that God was driving all of it. Um, and so here, we're reading about Israel about to receive a new king, in fact, their first king. And Saul was the one who was chosen by the Lord to be the first king of Israel. And I've said it a couple times already, but I do want to highlight the fact of his physical properties. Saul seemed like a king. Scripture repeats it, so I think it's well worth for us to repeat it as well. Uh, number one, he came from a wealthy family. Uh, if you're going to have a king, you, you, you probably want to start there, right, from an earthly perspective. 
uh, he was good looking and he was taller than everyone else. So uh, from a physical standpoint, he seemed to be like a good king. But beyond that, Saul was severely, and I say severely, unqualified for the job. So why did God call him? Well, we know, again, God works through all things for his glory and our good. He called Saul to be Israel's first king to teach Israel a lesson, right? Because they had rejected him. They had rejected the Lord as their king, and they wanted an earthly king to follow. So there was a purpose behind God calling this severely unqualified man for the job. Uh, The first thing we see or that we saw last week was that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. That was told to him during his private coronation. It says the spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you and uh, you will be a new man. And I said not not in the in the way of like a new man with new DNA, a, a completely new person, but in a new man in ability. And we see that in scripture in the first half of chapter 10. When the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul, he became a new man in ability. And so much so that those who previously knew him, they were just completely amazed. One of the things that the spirit of the Lord helped Saul to do was to prophesy. But in a very unique way, he sang like he never sang before. And everyone, you know, he must have been a horrible singer because everybody who heard him singing that day said, man, this is who is this man right here? I put myself in that example. If I were to sing to you today and it sounded beautiful, you would be asking the same thing. See, but even though the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul, he became a new man uh, in ability. The thing is, is that unfortunately, Saul would not turn out to be the king that he should have been. He, he, He would sin against the Lord. But the Lord's appointment of Saul as king, again, was to teach the Israelites, a lesson. It was actually God's judgment on the nation. His appointment was God's judgment on the nation. And it's funny how when you look at the judgments of God, especially how he interacts with his creation with judgments, yes, judgments are harsh, but at the same time, God is so good that even in the midst of judgments, he blesses, right? We can look at our own nation right now or any recent history of it, where God has appointed godless men as leaders. And I do believe, and you should believe as well, that is judgment on our nation. But at the same time, God cares for his people. So you can see judgment, and then you can also see God's tender mercy working together at the same time, and that's what we see going on here. Through God's providence, he would give them, uh, the Israelites, what they were asking for. Why? So that they can realize that's not what they needed. I don't know about you, but that's happened to me several times in my life. I've been given what I've, had, what I've asked for, and I realize, oh, I, I really did not need that in a sense of I didn't need that over my life. I, I just need the Lord. So Saul's downfall, when we look at his life, and we'll continue to look at it as we walk through First um, Samuel, we'll see that he, number one, was had a lack of faith. Um, because of that, there's a lack of reverence and there's a lack of repentance towards the word of God. And, you know, here Saul is king, but it doesn't matter that Saul is king because the Lord here in our verse is commanding him and also the rest of Israel. 
he's commanding them all together to bow down to him, right? He's saying, hey, Saul, you as king and the people who follow them, there is someone else that you follow. There is someone else that you, know, that you owe your allegiance to. There is someone else that you worship. So uh, there are some important lessons here for us to consider. Uh, what I want to go over is in this passage is, is how the God, the God of Israel calls the nation together, how he summoned them, uh, and they were gathered together to hear the word of the Lord, um, a direct message to them, and then also they were gathered together to receive commandments from the Lord. And that's the way I'm going to break up this passage. So let's look at verses 17 through 19 first. Now, the first thing that we see in our passage is that Samuel is calling the nation of Israel to come together at Mizpah. And because the Lord was going to address them, he wanted them all at the same place. As I was thinking through this, it kind of reminds me of the address to the nation by the president of the United States. Every so often he comes on our TV and, and there is an address to the nation. He's speaking to the nation. What's different about it is that we're all in our own homes when we see it. And here, this is a collective gathering. So I thought, well, that's, that's, a, that's a good example. But a better example is the church. Every Sunday, we come together, right? We all come together. Not, not on TV, uh, but we, we come together here in person to hear from the Lord. So in this instance, Samuel was the Lord's spokesperson. And he was the one who delivered the word of the Lord uh, to the nation. And look how he starts, verse 18. He says, um, let me make sure it is verse 18. Yes, verse 18, he says this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I think it's important enough for us to stop right there and to consider what's happening. Now, Samuel's pronouncement was very important for what was about to happen. Because Samuel is the one speaking. He is the preacher, so to speak, in this case, or the one who is speaking. And Samuel himself did not have the authority to appoint a king over the nation of Israel because that authority belonged to God and God alone. And so, therefore, when Samuel started speaking, he didn't say, hey, listen to me. He didn't, he didn't say that. He said, he, he pronounced the name of the Lord. He says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Israel. Now, what is Samuel doing here? Well, he made sure that the people knew whose authority he was speaking from. He just didn't get up and say these words and say, well, now you have to follow me. He was speaking the word of the Lord to them. He announced that this was the word of the Lord and that his words were sovereign. Why? Because he was the God of Israel. So what does that mean? When he said that, that means listen up, right? Because it's not just the person in front of you who is speaking. The person in front of you is speaking the word of the Lord. It's like uh, sending your kid. I remember this as a kid being told by my parent to go and tell my other sibling what to do, right? That, that was an awesome thing because as siblings, you're always fighting over that authority to, to be over them, right? It's going back and forth, back and forth. You're always wanting to tell somebody what to do. And every time you do, your sibling's like, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. Right? So when my parent would tell me, hey, go tell your brother to do this, it was like, yes. 
And then you get to add on stuff to it too, right? They catch on to that real quick. But it's the same thing with my kids. If, if I'm busy or I can't be there in front of that person, I send one of the kids to tell their siblings what to do. And I can see that smile on their face. They're like, yes, I bring the authority of my father. And dad said, this is what you need to do. See, when we read the Bible, we need to understand that concept. We need to understand that the Bible comes with the authority of our Heavenly Father. Thus says the Lord. Right? We can't use that phrase with any, in any other situation. We can't make up things that God didn't say. Just because we connect thus the, connect the phrase, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord is restricted to what the Bible says. Because that is the word of the Lord. So we need to remember that when we read the Bible or we hear the Bible, that it is the Lord speaking and that his words are sovereign over our lives. I, I, I keep that in mind as I prepare sermons, and I know Pastor Laramie does the same thing. My job as a preacher of God's word is not to get you to do what I want you to do. If that's the case, I'm failing horribly. Because I have things in my own mind that I'd like for the church to do. But yet, it is by the power and the spirit of the Lord that we move, right? Right? So as a preacher, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. May sound weird because I'm imploring you on God's behalf, but I'm not trying to convince you. That's a lesson that I learned a long time ago. I, I, I'm not a good salesperson. I could not convince you of hardly anything. When I prepare a sermon, I'm not thinking about giving you this awesome illustration or making this sermon an emotional experience for you, I'm, that's not my job either. See, my job as the preacher of God's word is to be faithful to his word. I use the talents and gifts that God has given me to do that, but in my mind as I'm preparing the sermon, that's the question I'm asking myself. Am I being faithful to the word of God? Is this the message that God has for his people? And that carries on all the way through, even with the application of any sermon. Yeah, the application is, is tailored to our church, but yet it needs to match up with the word of God. So if I am being faithful in my preaching, and that, and whatever I say in my message, because I know this has happened many times before, if what I say in my message makes you upset, sure, you can take it up with me, definitely, but ultimately you need to take it up with the Lord. Amen? Again, if I'm being faithful, if I am not being faithful, and because of my carelessness or anything else, because of my sin, I upset you, then yes, all blame falls on me. But if I am being faithful... It's the Lord that you have to deal with. See, there's a reason why there are no questions that are allowed to be asked during the sermon. You ever wonder that? Like Bible study, we get to ask questions. The sermon, we just have to sit there and 
kind of be quiet or we can say amen, but we just can't ask questions at, the, at, at that particular time. See, the, the, the whole point of the sermon and where the sermon is different than a Bible study, a lecture or anything else is that you as God's people have been summoned by the Lord. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. God has summoned you to hear from him. And by the grace of God, and I'm sorry, but he's using me as, your, as a vessel to preach the word to you. You could have gotten a better preacher, but this is what you've gotten. So, so this is what we have to realize is that every Sunday, if you're talking about foreshadow here or typology here or anything like that, you can look at this event where where Samuel was calling all the nation together and he begins with, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. You can see how that is pointing to the relationship that God would have with his church. He would speak to his church day in, day out, Sunday in, Sunday out, through, the, through a vessel. But we are to revere the word of God, to hear it, to understand it. He gives us that ability, but ultimately to walk in obedience to it. The reformers had a term called sola scriptura, and that meant scripture alone. And when you talk about sola scriptura, it basically emphasizes the Bible's authority. See, the Bible alone is the source of the Christian's authority. There are other things that determine what we can do, what we can't do. There are laws. There are all kinds of different things that we have to abide by. But if those things do not line up with the word of God, we are free to walk in the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pay the consequences of not following those laws, but ultimately our ultimate authority is scripture. Uh, Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 through 17, tell us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is a classic text when you talk about the authority of Scripture. Scripture is well and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. See, when we look at this passage, the only reason that Samuel, uh, Saul, and any of these other leaders of the nation of Israel had any authority was because that authority was given to them by the Lord. He commanded the people to listen to them, and it was so. That was the expectation. Within the church, God has commanded the authority to be given to the elders. There is no question about that. Although in a lot of church structures, we, we see where they are structured wrongly. And I, I will go ahead and say that. And that is a controversial statement because there are many pastors that I know that are pastoring these churches that I believe are structured wrongly. And what do I mean by that? Well, because in a lot of churches, you have the deacon body who is an authority, authoritative body, and then you have the body of the elders or the pastors, and they are an authoritative body. And when you have the elders and the deacons, and they're fighting over authority, you have a church that is just knocking heads, knocking heads. 
And when you look at scripture, scripture dictates that the, the elders have the authority and the deacons are there to serve. That is the way church is supposed to be set up. So within the church, God has commanded that authority to be given to the elders. But listen, the elders themselves are not to be without an authority over them. Why? Because they must humble themselves before the Lord. But it's even better than that. You know why? Because it it might sound good to be an elder or pastor of a church because a lot of people look at that position and say, oh, I want that because that guy is in charge. Please pray seriously if you want that. I mean, pray for a while if that's what you want to do. I'm not, hey, if you want to do that, that is great. We can provide training for you to get on your way, but make sure you want it for the right reasons. Because when you see that the elder is under the authority of the Lord, you see the commandment of the Lord to the elder. Because the Lord commands your pastors to humble themselves, not only before him, but to humble themselves in serving the flock of God. So then, therefore, you get this picture of the elder who has the authority, but he's called to be the greatest servant. Who does that look like? That looks like Christ, right? Christ came into his creation. He should have been worshipped. Well, he was, but he says, I didn't come for that. I came to serve. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So it's this wonderful picture of God, the person that that are the people that God put as authority to be the greatest servants. And that's why the church serves one another. The same is true for the home, the authority of the husband over the wife and over the kids is from the Lord. The authority of the father and the mother over the kids, is from the Lord. Thus says the Lord. When we look at authority, all power, all strength, all authority, it comes from the word of God. And that's what we have to understand as God's people. That's what's happening here in Samuel. There is something new that's about to take place. And Samuel is calling everyone together Because the Lord has told him to, and he's saying, listen, these are the words of the Lord. And this is what the Lord tells them. Look at verses 18 through 19. And he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all of your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. What's happening here? Well, the Lord is reminding them of his faithfulness. He's been faithful the whole time. Everything that he has promised has come to pass. He has blessed the nation over and over and over. He has kept them safe He has done what he said he would do perfectly. And he addresses the nation and he says that to the nation. And then he reminds them of 
their unfaithfulness to him. Because everything they have, he has commanded them to do, they did not. They did not. They sinned against him. They, in many ways, they sought after idols. They wanted to do their own thing, what seemed right in their own eyes. See, in this case right now, there should be no reason for them to ask for a king. No reason at all, because God had taken care of them perfectly. And yet, they said to the Lord, set a king over us so that he can lead us. Set an earthly king over us so that he can lead us. See, on this day, the Lord was going to grant the request, as I said before, to teach them a very important lesson about themselves and about him, mainly about idol worship. So let's look at this idol that God gives to the nation, verses 20 to 24. King Saul is revealed through the process of casting lots, and that's similar basically to throwing, uh, it's a similar action to, to, uh, to throwing dice. You get a yes or no answer. And so these groups of people were brought before Samuel. The lot, the lot was, was uh, cast, and then it was an elimination process of yes and no. So then, therefore, you see this bigger group, and it gets down to a smaller group, to the tribe of Benjamin, and then finally to Saul himself. But when it came time to publicly present Saul as king, he is nowhere to be found. Now, it's an awful picture of the king that the nation wanted over them. Why? Because the king is hiding from everyone. This is the man that they want to be king over them. He's hiding. See, on one hand, they rejected the Lord, and the Lord is the one who saved them from all their calamities and all their distresses. And then on the other hand, the king they asked for was basically hiding in a big sack. He knew this was his time. He froze up, ran away, tried to hide in a big sack because he was afraid of the responsibility. Listen, and I want you to listen very carefully to this. You will never find anyone who takes better care of you than the Lord. Never. And I know there are some wonderful people who have taken care of you. If you grew up with a good father and mother, praise God, you were well taken care of. You have great grandparents. You have a lot of people who mean a lot to you and you think of, those people now and you think of the care they took of you they did a wonderful job but the best they did was flawed they did the best they could but the Lord the Lord takes care of us in ways we cannot even imagine he takes care of us perfectly he is the reason that we live that we move and that we have our being if you have the Lord Nothing can ever replace him. When we look at this passage, it should remind us of that. They're, they have a king. They have the eternal king of glory that they serve, that follows them, or that they follow, that takes care of them. And they're like, no, we don't want that. We want somebody we can see. We want somebody we can touch. We want to follow somebody like that. See, there may be times in your, life, in your life that you forget about you forget about the fact that there will be no one that takes care of you like the Lord. 
And your heart in those times will want to chase after idols. Your heart will want to follow something that you can see, something that you can touch, something that you think will take care of you. But it will only end up with you being totally, dis- totally disappointed in whatever it is that you took on that replaced the Lord. Whatever it is that you decided to follow, whatever it is that you replaced the Lord with, it will disappoint you. It will break your heart. It will bring you to the conclusion that there is no one like the Lord. So with that being said, let's think about this from a practical standpoint. No human leader is able to lead you on his own. We must understand that. Your leaders follow someone. Either they follow the Lord and they lead you as he commands. Or they follow Satan and they lead you as he commands. Now, those leaders who follow the Lord, do they do it perfectly? No. But there should be faith and repentance. There should be forgiveness. There should be all of that. But no matter if that person makes a mistake or not, there's always faith and repentance for that leader to fall back on. It was Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of leader I want to follow. Follow me as I follow Christ. You see, that kind of leader, that kind of leader is committed to the word of God. He has humbled himself to the word of God. He lives according to it. He teaches it. And his conviction is based upon it. So all the different leaders that we have in our lives, you have your pastors, you have your husbands, you have the wives, you have the fathers, you have the mothers, all these different authority figures in our life. It is, it is well to follow. We do well when we follow those authority figures. But we must realize that those authority figures must be following the same God that we are following. We are all submitting to the Lord. See, when we look at this passage, the fact that their king was hiding should have been a troubling sight to the nation. But they lacked discernment. Remember, they were impressed with the way he looked. Look at verses 23 to 24. He's trying to hide, and then the Lord says, he, no, because they asked, are you going to reveal him now or later? He said, no, he's hiding. The Lord said, he's hiding They ran and they looked at the spot where the Lord said he was. So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any other, any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, do you see him? This is the guy the Lord has chosen. There is none like him among the people. And then what did the people do? They shouted, long live the king. they had to go retrieve their king who was hiding. Then they find him, and then he's taller than everybody else, and it's like, you know, that's that's such a Hispanic thing to do. 
And the reason why I say that is because we don't have very many people who are tall in our families. And I remember me being six foot one in my family. My family, my mother was always happy to present me to my other families who haven't seen me in a long time. I'd come in a room and she's like, look, look at my son. He's six foot one. And that was very impressive to everybody. I look, it just reminds me of that as as the people look at Saul, they're not even looking at his ability. They're not looking at his qualities. They're not looking at his character. It's just like, oh no, he looks like he should be able to lead us. But the Bible says we should not lift our eyes to man. In fact, Psalms 12 verses 1 through 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Why? That is where my hope comes from. My hope comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So we get this picture of Saul being publicly announced and they have to grab him from this sack that he's hiding in to present him. And then the public coronation ends with the commandment of the Lord to the king and also to the kingdom. Look at verses 25 through 27. In this last part, the Lord presents the people the rights and duties of the kingship. You see, it wasn't like, oh, Saul, you're in charge, so you just decide on whatever it is you want to do, and the people are going to follow that. No, you see the king, the eternal king of glory, giving the rights and responsibilities, basically, of the king. So Samuel, he wrote the the rights and duties down, and then He laid it up before the Lord, the passage says. Now, this was a solemn act to show the rights that that these rights and these duties came from the Lord. They were approved by him. The king of kings was making it known to his earthly king and also to those who followed him that he was their ultimate authority. Above all things, He was in charge. The people had their king, but their king answered to someone higher. Now, I think that's important for us to talk about this morning because life can get pretty complicated. It feels like everyone is telling you what to do, right? It just always feels that way. It could get pretty complicated when we especially when we wrongly prioritize the authority figures over our lives. There's the authority of the husband and also Along with that, within the family structure, we see the authority of the father and mother. Um, We also see the authority of the pastors over the congregation. There is the authority of the boss over the employees. And then also there is the authority of the government official over the citizen. Now, as I said before, it always feels like you're, you're hearing from all these different things of what you should do. We have all these authority figures to deal with, and we have to decide which ones get higher priority. Well, I think if we are careful, and and we should be careful, if we look at the word of God, we will see that the word of the Lord gives us clear guidance to who is ultimately in authority over us. See, the Lord, the Lord is the Lord of For the wives in here, the Lord is the Lord of your husband. The Lord is the Lord of your husband. For the children in here, 
the Lord is the Lord of your father and mother. And I'm going to give you the reason why. Just like Saul, just like Samuel pronounced the Lord, he said, thus says the Lord, the king of Israel. Okay, the Lord is the Lord of your husband and the Lord is the Lord of your father and mother. Why? Because he created them. The Lord is the Lord over your pastors. Why? Because he is the one who called them and equipped them. The Lord is the Lord over your boss. Why? Because it is really the Lord who is providing for you through that job. The Lord is the Lord over your government official. Why? Because he appointed him to preside over you. So you see where I'm going, what direction I'm going in. We have all these authority figures in our lives, but ultimately we follow the Lord. And if we are going to follow the Lord, there there are a lot of Christians who will agree with that and they'll say amen to that. But listen, if we are going to follow the Lord, then that means we follow his word. Thus says the Lord. Right. So then, therefore, there's no reason for us as Christians to live any way we want. There are so many Christians that that just push the Bible aside. They push scripture aside and they do what feels right in their own hearts, what seems right in their own eyes. And yet they call themselves Christians. They're not submitting to the Lord. They don't even know what submission is. That cannot be us. See, there are idols in your life that you completely love. You love them because you can see them. You can feel them. They make you feel comfortable. You don't want to let them go. And if it were up to you, you would not let them go. You would hold on to them for uh, forever, it seems like. Even though they are doing damage to your life, you would just hold on to them. But what tells you that you should have no other God before you? The word of the Lord. See, in every type of situation in our lives, we have the word of the Lord that directs us, that commands us. And we must always go back to that. It's easy just to give up because you feel like it. It's easy to just bow down to your emotions and say, this makes me feel good. I think this is right because I'm angry. Whatever it is. But we always go back to the word of the Lord. We must never forget that Christ is king. And if Christ is king, that means he is king over all creation. You have no higher authority. Whatever it is that you have placed over your life, that you have placed over Christ, it does not belong there. There are so many that are imprisoned to all kinds of people and things because you have imprisoned yourself. But the Bible tells us that the Lord has set us free. And if he has set us free, then we are free indeed. We are free to follow him and submit to him and enjoy life under his rule. Never forget that Christ is king 
And you must humble and you must commit yourself to his word above all. Let us pray.